of two things when it comes to raising kids. Number one is uh, to make sure that you empathize and validate. It is very, very critical that when your child comes to you with any issue, any complaint, any problem, right, no matter what it is, do not short circuit the conversation. Do not, uh, let, do not simply minimize it. Worse, don't blame them. Make sure that you're able to empathize. Empathy is, as we said, is letting your child know that their pain is your pain. That means you are actively, actually listening. Validation is an extension of that. So let me give you a quick example. Your child comes back and says, Maura doesn't like me, or Rebbe took my lunch. You're Maura, of course she loves you. Why wouldn't your teacher love you? Your Rebbe didn't take your lunch. Very nice. Now, let's assume that obviously the child may not be telling the truth, may be exaggerating and so on. You never call your child a liar. Your child comes back, whatever the issue is, no matter what it is. Let's say they're in a restaurant and they're crying because they're hungry, right? Hypothetically. Ah, hi. Very cute. Your child comes back and says, you know, X, Y, Z. Oh my gosh. You sit the child down, the child will tell you, maybe it's a bubble mice, maybe it's whatever it is, you're empathizing. And validation, people think, parents think, oh, I can't validate my child because they're making up a story. Wow, I can see if you think your Rebbe hates you, how that would be very painful, how that could hurt. That's tough. And then once the child is empathized with, that feels validated, you may find that they're going to change the tune a little bit. Well, I guess, you know, it really doesn't hate this. And if not, that's okay. Once you establish that connection, that's when you float the opportunity for a different perspective. Where you'll simply say, I'm wondering if it's possible that maybe your teacher told you to put away the lunch. Is, is that possible? Well, maybe. Maybe Rebbe told you to stop playing with the car five times. And then you did that. Again, at no point do you tell your child he's wrong, you tell your child he's a liar, you tell your child it's not a big deal. That doesn't happen. Because to him it is a big deal. Your child gets a little dent on his toy car, right? And he's crying about it. It's not a big deal, we know it's not a big deal. Guess what, you get a dent on your car, someone says don't worry about it, it's not a big deal, what do you want to feel like doing to the guy? Yeah? Right? Now, granted, it's not a big deal, our dent in our car in the scheme of things, the dent in his car. But if our car matters to us, you can assume that his car matters to him. And when you minimize it, or worse, you blame, you say, you know what, if you would have put it where I told you, right, it's the exact opposite of what your child needs. They need to know that you understand their pain. So, very quickly, take another example. Little Chaim, go back to Little Chaim. Little Chaim wants a cookie before dinner. You can't have a cookie before dinner. What is the optimum way to let Little Chaim know he can't have a cookie before dinner? First, you can't say no until he understands that you know how good that cookie is. Meaning, up, if he understands that you know that that cookie is the most delicious, amazing cookie, that's when he knows the only reason you'll say no is because if you have to, not because you don't can O W, you don't know, you don't understand. To say, oh, Lil Chaim, you want that? Oh, the ones with the double fudge and the sprinkles, and this, those are the best. I love those. You know, I can eat a box of them. <laughs> now he's thinking he's got a partner, maybe. <laughs> you know what? Mommy just made this sutta. I just made this dinner. Let's do this. I'm going to put my cookies by my table, and you put, yours, you put your cookie by your plate, and we'll eat now. Will Lil Chaim be happy that he couldn't have the cookie? No. 
Will, he, will it injure the relationship because you said no? No. And that's the objective. The objective isn't to give in to the child. See, it doesn't matter whether the child gets what they want. What they want is to feel heard. They want to feel understood. They want to know that you get their pain. That's it. The answer, I got to tell you, is largely irrelevant. In much the same way, child says, can I have something? Can I have this? Can I have this? You're fine. Go ahead and take it. You got it. Go ahead. Go, go. Get to this. What happens? You think your relationship is better off for it? You think the child's better off for it? Anytime your child wants something, I want to sleep over at a friend's house. You don't want them sleeping over. I want the latest gadget, gizmo, whatever it is. Your inclination is, and you may eventually get to and no. But first you have to have the conversation and ask your child questions. Why is this important to you? Why does it matter to you? What's the advantage? Understand where he's coming from, where she's coming from. Let your child know that you're taking the time to listen to what it is that they want. And if you say no, it'll be because you have to. You know, not because you don't understand. Sometimes parents look for a reason to say yes. You really need a reason to say no. You know, our reflex sometimes as parents is no, 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 no. Have in your mind, you're gonna say yes, yes, unless you need a reason to say no. We say no to things sometimes reflexively that just don't matter. So, again, just before we even begin, we'll begin with um, recognizing that when your child comes to you with anything, you have to make sure that you do not dismiss how it is they're feeling, what is they're expressing. We used the example the other time, uh, the other night, you know, child says, I'm hungry. You're not hungry. Child says, you know, maybe not, maybe it's bedtime, but there's only so long a child will, will express themselves and be shut down before they stop expressing themselves. And there's a saying, by the way, in psychology that children who can't express themselves to their mother won't be able to express themselves to an other. Meaning that if a child is constantly told that what he thinks and feels is wrong, there's gonna come a time when they transition to adulthood when they just stop expressing how they feel and how they think because they were consistently shut down. Okay, and the next thing is, again, just quick, Khazar is, is when it comes to criticism. There is almost never a reason to criticize a child, period. I'm telling you, you, th- you can give me any example. If you disagree with anything I say, again, fire away. Now's the time. It can be about your child, a friend of yours, doesn't matter. Um, there's, there's almost never, we don't realize just how critical we are. Do you know that the average child hears 40 bits of criticism to one bit of praise? We don't realize just how negative, when you tell a child, by the way, wear your shoes, is that positive? Negative or part? It's negative. Right. Most children will hear it as negative because if the shoes were where they belong, you wouldn't be asking the question. And sometimes it depends on the child. But we don't realize, I mean, imagine the 40 to 1. If you had a job and you were criticized 40 to 1 bit of praise, you wouldn't want to work there. Unless it's the Department of Motor Vehicles, in which case, it's, you know, you're probably ahead of the curve. <laughs> We don't realize how critical it would be. So when you want to correct the child's behavior, as we said, rather than tell the child what they're doing is wrong, which makes them mad at you, mad at themselves, and justifying their behavior, rather than do that, you, when they're getting it right, you tell them, amazing job, and you charge it with positivity. Okay, that's it. Any questions? Good? Okay. That's pretty funny, but uh, that's one. I suspect you heard a lot that a lot in school. Did you not? (laughs) 
As someone used to say, he was an outstanding student. He was always outstanding in the hallway. Uh, Okay, fine. We talk about raising children who are emotionally healthy. We talk about emotionally healthy children. We mean one thing. We mean self-esteem. A child who self-esteem refers to the degree to which a person loves themselves and feels worthy of good things in life. I have self-esteem. I don't mean me. I mean I do. But that's what it means to have self-esteem. I love me. I feel worthy of love and connection. That's what it means to have self-esteem. So how children gain self-esteem is entirely different than how adults gain self-esteem. We're not going to go into the model by adults, but generally it's the quality of our choices. Children do not have that equation. They do not have a Yates-Hahar or Yates-Hahar equation. Small children are completely Yates-Hahar driven, right? We know adults like this as well, but at least children have an excuse for it. (laughs) So how do children gain self-esteem? Almost entirely from the following. Any child that grows up that's made to feel like a chore, made to feel like an obligation, made to feel like they're getting in the way of their parents' happiness, will have a very hard time feeling good about themselves. Because children are entirely egocentric. No seven-year-old is gonna say, oh wow, dad just came home from work, he had a hard day, it's all right, he'll scream at me, let off a little steam, I'll have a drink, he'll be fine. (laughs) He's gonna say, what is so broken, bad, defective, disgusting, awful in me, that is causing this behavior? The interface is visceral between a child and their parents. The parent's behavior towards the child equals my self-worth as a child. That's it. It's a very easy challenge. That's the good news. That's the bad news. And let me just maybe take a step back and, and remind everyone here that as Bubby used to say, there are two things a person can't take credit for. How the kids turn out and how the challenge turns out. Because you could still put all the ingredients in and somehow Hashem has other plans. So we're not talking about guarantees, certainly not money-back guarantee. We're talking about what the research shows through the lens of Chazal. Statistically, we can do that's within our control. But make no mistakes. I've seen it time and time and time and time again. You can have the parents do the same thing with all the kids, and they turn out one cookie cut away, except for one child is on his own path, because that's a child's path. It's not about pointing fingers. It's not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's not about making us feel like we dropped the ball. I've seen parents do everything right under the sun and they have a cholent that they were not anticipating. Still delicious cholent. And you know what? People take windy paths and eventually, Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald, that's all I used to say, he he ran uh, Camp Sternberg for 50 some odd years. He said, what people talk about are are, are, are people going off the dara, but they don't talk about all the kids to come back. Yeah, but they need a place to come back to. It's like he used to say, the relationship is everything. And of course, you're so spot on with that. So, a child needs to know that they're the path to the parent's happiness and not the obstacle to it. Any child that grows up that's made to feel like a chore, made to feel like an obligation, made to feel like they're getting in the way of their parent's happiness, will have a very hard time feeling good about themselves because they are going to assume that they are not worth whatever it is, the time, attention, love, affection of the parents. We were at a Shabbos table some time ago, and this it was my family and this other family, uh, who are hosts, and she was going on and on and on about this awful experience where she was trapped in the house for 24 hours with these little people that resembled her and her husband. <laughs> it was a, a snow day. You guys, well, typically don't know what it is. Maybe you'll experience it. <laughs> And she said that her day was shot. She couldn't get anything done. I look over at my wife, and she looks over at me, like, grit teeth. She's like, David, don't say anything. 
But then she goes on. She goes, you know what? When the kids go on the school bus in the morning, my day begins. When the kids come home, my day is shot. I can't get anything done. I look over again at my wife, and she's like, this is why people don't invite us back. (laughs) And I was good for, you know, a little while. And then I was just like, "Ah, whatever. It wasn't my finest moment. But... (laughs) And we have not been invited back. <laughs> so I ended up in Atlanta, by the way. <laughs> Where's your family? Uh, there are some nice people. Um, no, I jest, of course. So, you know, it, it's one thing to recognize that we've got the best job in the world. It happens to be the hardest job. It's another to tell our kids that they are difficult. So how then can we infuse that the path to a child's self-esteem is through relationship with their parents How do we communicate the message, you are the path to my happiness and not the obstacle to it? What is the means, the mechanism to accomplish that? How do we do that? Sorry, please? Good, excellent, one. Tell them. You win a free hamburger. (laughs) Ah, okay. You tell them. Tell your child how much you love them. Now, what happens when the kind of kid who goes, oh, not interested? What do you do? But say it again? Tell him again. Tell him again. Unless your child, obviously, you never want to purposely embarrass a child. As parents, we will do that inevitably to our children. But you never want to go out of your way to embarrass them. And certainly, you know, not in public. If you've got those kind of kids, we'll call them boys, that, you know, don't want to hear that, then that's okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. We know we're supposed to praise a child. By the way, do we praise them for, for their behavior or do we praise the child? Do we criticize the child for behavior or do we criticize the act? What's the... Okay. So, <laughs> when it comes to criticism, we know, of course, that you criticize the act, not the child. Right? It's not, Kaim, you're an awful kid. Rather, that behavior is beneath you. It's never the child, it's always the action. What's interesting, when it comes to praise, certainly, you can praise a child. It's good to do. But you also want to be able to praise the act. I see that you've done X, Y, Z. What's also good is you illuminate whatever media or trait you want to work on. So, ah, I see you did X, Y, Z. That shows me you've got a lot of patience. Very good, this and that. But I want to share something which is so powerful when it comes to raising emotionally healthy kids. You can tell your child how amazing they are when they're not doing anything. Meaning... You walk over to your child and you tell them, they're sitting in the kitchen, you go next to them and you say, you are so amazing. I am so proud of you. I am so, I tell my kids, I'm so in awe of them. Not because they're doing anything. The very definition of unconditional love is it's not conditional on something. Because I'll tell us, a love that is based on something isn't real. So if I grow up, if we grow up, if your children grow up, knowing that they will get praised when they get it right, what happens when they enter adulthood, they get married, they have their own children, they have a job, they're looking for when they get it right. They're going to do things right in order to get that praise. Now, there's nothing wrong with positive reinforcement, but imagine how emotionally solid a child would be if they knew how amazing they were without doing anything. Meaning, I don't have to perform, I don't have to get 100 on a test, I don't have to clear the table, I don't have to rake the leaves, I don't have to do this in order for you to tell me I'm great. You can just come up in the kitchen or sit next to me while I'm reading a book and say you are amazing. 
That is the definition of unconditional love. It is not conditional on anything that your child is doing. You imagine yourselves for a second if three times a day your parents told you how amazing you were, how awesome you were when you weren't doing anything that you're supposed to be doing? Like, wow. Yes, please. That's a great, great question. I would say that it is, you know, different versions for at different times. You can avoid redundancy. With the asterisk is some children hear things differently, meaning that, you know what, um, some children want to hear that you are proud of them. Other children want to hear that you actually say the words, I love you. Other children want to hear that, you know what, that you think that they are amazing. Whatever it is, you're going to find some children like hearing certain phrases and words. They're all adjectives largely for the same thing. Um, And of course, there are nuances. But I would say, you know, when you're tuned into your child, you'll notice some love hearing, I love you so much. Others love hearing, I'm so proud of you. Others love hearing, you are so amazing. You know, yeah. Okay, it's a great question. Any other questions before we go on? Okay, so, again, number one is you tell your child how amazing they are, particularly when they're not doing anything at all. You just say, you are so amazing. How else do we communicate to a child you're the path to my happiness and not the obstacle to it? How else do we do that? Excellent, good. Another hamburger. What did he say? He said spending time. Spending time with our children. Your children know how busy you are for one very good reason. You're always telling them. <laughs> Mommy's so busy, dad's so busy, 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 busy. But how you spend time, the, the quality of it is infinitely more important than the quantity. It does, how often can a family go on a Holomoy trip, everyone's together, and at the end of that trip, no one's better off for the experience? <laughs> yeah? It's not just my family? Okay. <laughs> right? There is something magical about, first off, one-on-one time. Now, I know, Baruch Hashem, people sometimes have larger families. It's not so easy. But when you, if you find you've got a child who's a little bit challenging and you're with them one-on-one and they're a different child, what they're screaming to you is, I want you. The quality of the time makes a big difference. I'm going to share something with you that I cannot claim myself. I have a twin brother, interestingly enough. Brilliant, by the way. Um, I know, it sounds self-serving when I say he's my twin, which he, which he is. He, he told me as follows. Again, I can't claim this. He told me this. He said he can count on one hand the number of times he's answered his cell phone when he was with his children. I said, you're kidding. I said, wow. I mean, my brother happens to be brilliant. He watches all my videos on parenting. That's why he's done. And so he, he gets it really right. Um, but isn't that amazing? He can count on one hand the number of times he's answered the phone with his kids. Extraordinary. Because what happens is you're talking to your child talking to your spouse and the phone rings and you ignore it, what you're saying and communicating is one message. There's nothing more important in the world to me right now than you, period. Now, for our spouse, we hope they understand that, but you know what, it's, it's also important to do, but we're not talking about showing bias now. But for our children, particularly when they're talking about something that's important to them, you're talking to your child and you're listening, you're trying to empathize, and then it's like, oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're done. It's over. Call it a day. No matter what you say, you lost. When that phone goes off, or someone interrupts you and say, "I'm sorry. Right now, I'm talking to Chaim. Whatever it is, has to wait." 
that child will feel like a billion dollars. I used to say million, but inflation, I don't know. <laughs> it is so, so valuable. And again, that now, okay, so we have time and we have telling your child. <coughs> Spending time with the child. There are some children who um, are more communicative, more chatty, uh, and then you've got boys. <laughs> so, like, by the way, I, um, how many boys do you have? Four. You're an expert. <laughs> well behaved. I can't remember. Did I, sh- I, don't want, I don't want to repeat myself. Did I share when I, I picked my girl up from school what, what the conversation's no. like? No. So I picked my daughter from school and I say, How was your day, sweetie? And I will get a play by play. From the minute she like walked into school to what she ate for lunch, what the Mara said, what this is that, the entire thing, like almost like in real time. I picked myself from school the other day. I go, how was your day? Fine. I noticed he's got like a sling on his arm. I go, would it have been a better day if you didn't break your arm? I don't know, just throwing it out there. And he goes, no, sprain. Not even, I got a spray, sprain. Okay, that's fine. Some children are more chatty, okay? But you don't think, they say, oh, even said I got to communicate and talk to you, sit next to them and go, poke them and go, okay, talk to me. A lot of conversation happens non-verbally, right? So if your child is sitting in the living room or they're sitting there reading a magazine or a newspaper or learning and you come into their space and also do the same, you're having a conversation. Much different from seeing your child and then just walking out of the room and going somewhere else because you want your own space. Which again, I get, but what are you communicating to the child? Sitting next to your child is a form of communication. It's a form of conversation. And be careful, by the way, when you have those parents, or you have those children who are not so chatty, sometimes it's our inclination just to shut them down and to... You know, you want to be careful during COVID. I got five, you know, it was, it was a lot of stuff with anxiety and children and stuff. And, you know, the question was about, you know, connecting with teenage children. And I said, you know, every time that your teenage child comes out of the room and they're hit with a criticism or a job, I would stay in my room also, <laughs> you know? So you have to make the atmosphere a little bit, you know, more basimka. It can't always be, particularly if you have a child, let's say you have the kind of child who's maybe a little bit critical, a little bit negative, yeah? So, you know, you say something, that your child says something, and you're quick to point out, no, that's not the case, or wrong, or this and that. I want to share something with you that I learned from my sister-in-law, who's a brilliant clinical social worker. She says as follows, three words, when you're speaking to somebody, particularly a child, who's just not so chatty, or they say something that's just out of left field, that's just weird, and you, it's like, you know, a child may say they learned something in school. You can't do that, it's us, sir. What are you talking about? It's like, no, 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 no. Tell me more. Tell me more. You will have an entirely different conversation. I know it's a, a, a temptation as a human and as a parent, your child says something critical about you or critical about your sister or their sister or about your, the, the, the mother, whatever it is, they shut down the conversation. Trust me, if they're saying something negative, it's because they want to communicate something to you, not that message. So you say, that's so interesting, tell me more. I'm sorry, you feel that way, tell me more. Have a conversation. Yeah, particularly when you got one of those types of kids. Okay, any questions before we go on? Yes, please, sir. So I hear you saying it's really important to you know, hear what your child's saying, give them all your attention. Um, a lot of times I see this happen to a lot of us, right? Is we might be speaking with another adult, and a child comes along, 
and they're pulling, daddy, 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 and they're, I want to show you this little toy I got. Okay, so that scenario plays out often. Great. So, did you hear the question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the question is, uh, you know, two adults are talking, he's talking to another adult, maybe at the kiddish, and it's natural, normal for a little child to come along and say, daddy, 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 and the scene unfolds consistently. So, how old and what age, please? Oh, what age? Well, how, how, uh, how, how old are, and boy or girl? Usually meaning like, like in today's generation, like, you know, like she identifies usually or, okay. You never know people. I'm sorry, what? Six to eight, okay, fine, great. So here's the thing. What do you do in this situation? First off, it, and again, by the way, you know, parenting is, is part art, part science. It's not cookie cutter, but I will share with you what can be very effective. And as follows, first off is when the child wants to show you something, something they're excited by, you're not going to have a productive conversation then. How many times you said, sweetheart, I'm talking to so-and-so. It just goes in one ear, out the other. So what do you do? Before that happens, before it comes up, before Shabbos unfolds, or maybe like at the Friday night suda, and you know you're going to see her by the kid, and she's going to come over, so excited to see you. She found you in a sea of legs, and she finally <laughs> sees her, right? So you're going to say, sweetheart, I, I, I'm so happy to see, how many times, by the way, you have kids, they, you know, they pull on the wrong copy, you know, and it's like, you look down, you go, ah, they go, ah, yeah, so, um, so you can say, I love it when you come over, listen to me, I love it when you come over to me, when I'm talking to another Taki or a dad or whatever, and I love it when you come over, I am so excited to see you, here's the thing, I, again, not about she's doing anything wrong, I like to, when I'm talking to a person, I don't want to make that person feel bad. Because if I had a choice between talking to you and talking to this man, I would tell the man bye and I would talk to you. But I don't want him to feel bad. So now, that's a different conversation from when you see me talking to an adult, I don't want you to come over, interrupt me. The child can't help. Now, of course, they're going to learn that at some point. But for that age child, there's no reason to think that they are just not so amazing, so wonderful, that the fact that you're not talking to them is not because they're doing anything wrong. They're so amazing and so wonderful. That's why you can't turn your attention away. Because as soon as you see her, you're going to want to pick her up and ignore this other person. So do me a favor. When you see me talking to her, I stand there quietly. I'll notice you. And by the way, she's going to stand there so proudly, knowing that you are filled with anticipation to give her a hug and to say hello. Good? Okay? I'm going to tell you, that is going to work Again, not every child all the time, but you will find it's a different conversation to saying, why are you always coming over to me? Because by the way, when you say that conversation, they're gonna come over to you more because they want your attention, they want your love, you want your affection. Why starve them? Okay, question in the back? Yes, please. Yes. Here's about the opposite. It's a two-part question. For your spouse and for your child, so I Giving great advice once, I don't remember who it was, which class, but uh, even if you're like in a meeting and your wife is calling, you really should answer the phone and acknowledge the call. Excellent, and yeah. And just, you know, sure. the meeting, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the same thing you would suggest with children. If you're in a meeting, you know it's, they have a house line or whatever, they're calling you, you know it's them. Should you pick up sure. and say, I'm just in a meeting and... Okay. Sure, excellent question. Did you have something to say? Yeah, when I was in my office, when my kids called, I had a routine always, no matter what, because they didn't call that often. Right. I, I pick up the phone, and as I picked up the phone, I said to my secretary, tell the president of the United States I'll call him right back, my kid's on the phone. 
Ah, very cute. That's, that's very always, sweet. Always. Very sweet. And even when they know it's not real, they still love to hear it. That's right. Right. That's beautiful. So I, I, would, I would say like this. Um, when it comes to your wife, uh, you come to your spouse and come to kids, it, it's different. If you assume it's not urgent or an emergency, there's no reason to pick up. You're, you're perfectly welcome to establish boundaries with your children. And we can, if we have time, we're going to get into that. Children do not need to invade our personal space, the bedroom, um, uh, and, and have 24-7 access to us. That has become an aberration somehow. And I, I, I know what, how it happened. I really, in one generation... We went from being scared of our parents to scared of our kids. So you have parents who are scared to tell their children no to anything. So they just come in into the space. But by your spouse, and again, every I, I'm a big proponent of not telling people what they should or shouldn't do. I'm going to make suggestions. It doesn't work for everybody. So by your spouse, for example, like in my, I share with you my kind of work. I don't have the luxury of picking up the phone when I'm talking to somebody. It would be very unproductive. So. My family largely knows, and even that, I got news to you, when I'm writing, also in the mornings I write, my phone is just off, it's done. If, you know, anyone needs to get a hold of somebody, then, you know, I'll have an Amish person knock on my door eventually. <laughs> uh, so, and you, whatever works with your wife, you know, if, if she's calling because it's important, obviously, you know, pick it up. And I always am a big proponent of picking up for your spouse. Period. When it comes to your kids, I don't think there's value in picking up and saying, hi, I, I don't have time to talk to you. I don't. It is perfectly fine for children to know that daddy is just not reachable at certain points at certain times. You're entitled to that space. Okay? They shouldn't feel that you obviously are ignoring them or that you're not interested in them and all that stuff. And that's what we're talking about here. The, the fact that they can reach you at any time is not going to satisfy their need that they are loved and cared about. You do the other things and that will be a perfectly acceptable boundary. Okay? It's a great question. Any other? Yes, please. Yeah. How old, please? Great. So when the child, so so walk me through. You're having a conversation with an adult, and the child comes over, stands there, wants something from you. What what happens? I'm sorry. Great. Well, what 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 do they want? Okay, so what? Great. So here's how it will never happen. It will never happen again with another teenage boy. When they tap you on the shoulder, turn around, give a big hug and, a hug and kiss, and they will never do that again. I can assure you. Um, no. So, 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 what did you want them to do? Stand there quietly, wait for an interruption. It's practically speaking, they go. You said responsibly tell you they're going to someone's house. What would you have them do? Okay. No. 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 But that's, that's just it. In other words, I, you're right. Tapping you on the shoulder when you're in the conversation doesn't sound like the, the height of Midos. At the same time, letting mom know I'm going to someone's house so she doesn't worry also seems like a very responsible thing. So, so practically speaking, what is this child supposed to do? It's not up to me, it's up to you. You're going to tell him what you want him to do. If you don't want him to interrupt you and you'll assume that you know he, he's, he's okay, fine. If you want him to tell you, then... Tell me how you want him to know that. No, I'm, okay, I'm sorry. I, I, I didn't mean to. Now, you could say, for example, by the way, by teenagers, you could do this. Again, away from the conversation, not at that time, you never want to embarrass. Say, look, when, I'm, when you know, I'm speaking to an adult, it's the same thing, by the way. I love when you come over, love schmoozing. You know what? I, I, I 
I feel bad that I'm going to offend the person. Do you think it, do you think it makes a difference whether the child is seven or 17 that you tell them that you're so happy to see them? The only reason why you're not saying it is because you think they're not going to believe you. Mm. You assume the seven-year-old believes you, mother, 17-year-old. It's the same thing. If you have a loving relationship with your child, say, I am so happy when you come over. I just love it but I just can't focus on the person I'm talking to. I'd be walking, I'd be, you know, everyone's gonna think I'm being rude. I can't, I can't do that. Help me out, just if you can just stand there and then I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll try and end the conversation so we can schmooze. Yeah? Okay? Okay. Good? Okay, so, child does something that we don't like. Yeah? Our inclination is to get upset because of fear. Our fear is they're not listening to me. What's going to be? How are they going to get married? How are they going to raise own children? How are they going to be grandparents? <laughs> and that. We're down the road. When I ask parents, I say, whatever is your child doing, if you knew for sure that they wouldn't be doing this when they were married, would you still be upset? Yeah, no, of course not. It's all based on fear. I want to share with you a personal story, and I only share the stories with you from my family that worked out well, okay? Not the ones that did. <laughs> so, my wife uh, is away for Shabbos which she's entitled to. <laughs> and I'm home with our delicious children, and it was for Shabbos, and so I, 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 I cannot cook. <laughs> but we got Chinese food, which was, you know, great, fun. You know, Chinese food for Shabbos. So, and, and, and in our house, we have Shabbos opportunities. They're like Shabbos jobs, but they sound better. So, everyone has age-appropriate jobs. One, you know, the, the, the sweep, cut paper towel. I mean, you know what the house looks like. Everyone doing their own jobs. So this was goes back a couple of years, two years, maybe whatever, to the Trump administration. When they remember when the government went on strike? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was six months or whatever they went on strike. So my delicious then 13-year-old, his job was to clear the table. And he said we had a very nice meal, which lasted about five and a half minutes, by the way. <laughs> he said, you know what? You know how the government's on strike, Daddy? I go, yes, sweetheart. <laughs> he goes... I'm gonna go on strike too. <laughs> I'm on strike. And I go, tell me more. <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, you know what? And then he told me his kind of, his complaint was that, you know, the other siblings have easier jobs. Like the job of my eight year old is to look cute, okay? <laughs> so granted, it's not a hard job. He and I have the same job. Okay. <laughs> he goes, why do I have to clear the table? Now bear in mind, clearing the table means taking the plastic, we use plastic, please don't tell anyone to show that resume, we wrap it up and throw it out. I mean, it's Chinese food, everything between you and me, don't tell my wife, it's plastic, okay, fine. So he goes, I'm going on strike. I could have handled this a thousand ways, but every once in a while, I listen to myself, my own advice. I said, okay, fine. So everyone goes to the living room and we're all doing age appropriate things, reading, learning, sleeping, playing, whatever it is. He comes over about 10 minutes later and says, hey, where's dessert? Now, my temptation would be, of course, <laughs> really? Let me get this straight. <laughs> but I ignored my temptation and I said, oh, you know, it's in the freezer in the garage, but it's dark. You know, I know where it is. Let me get it for you. 13-year-old teenage boy, his mouth opens up. Huh? Let me get it for you. I go get it, bring it down, sit him down, this, whatever flavor you want, this, that, enjoy so he eats it, and he goes upstairs to his room. 15, 20 minutes later, I go up. Knock on the door, ask permission. Sweetheart, do you have a second? Sure. I come in, I say as follows. I want you to know you are so amazing. 
I appreciate all the things you did since mommy was away you know, Friday morning. You had, and he was, great. He helped with the baby, with this, with that, with that. I really appreciate it. I said, I would be the biggest whatever of a parent if I made a big deal about you clearing the table. It's not the end of the world. Forget about it. Why? I said it for the following reason. It's when a child does something that they know they shouldn't do, and he knows he should not have said no to me, he shows, he, and I could have insisted that he clear the table. I could have asked him to, it would have taken me saying, just looking at him sternly and saying, so-and-so, clear the table, do it now, and he would have done it. I chose not to do that. First, I, uh, 13-year-old, clear the table who doesn't want to, I didn't know what that floor would look like. <laughs> but still, I didn't want to push him because it was unnecessary to injure my relationship over something so silly. Yes, he has to listen to me. Yes, he has to respect what I say. This was not the time to call him out. I go up, and so I say to him, I said, you are so amazing, so awesome. I, don't, I didn't want him to feel guilty on top of it. It's not a big deal. Now, what does he say to me? He says, you're trying to guilt me into clearing the table. <laughs> I said, no, sweetheart, trust me. I really don't want you to. You are so amazing. You don't feel like clearing the table. Here's why I empathize. I get it. Dude, plenty of times, I don't feel like working or writing, and if I can, I'll go off sometimes too. I get it. You're just not in the mood to do it. Instant connection. I get I validated and validated and validated. I get it. Now, truth is, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know if i do it myself, ask another kid to do it, wait four days my wife took him home. I didn't know. <laughs> I did know I was not going to get into an argument with my son about clearing the table and take my fear of him not listening to me and bubble into anger. So... I said, don't worry, I gave him a kiss, you're amazing, I came down. I don't know how many minutes later, not long, eight, 10 minutes, he comes down after me, not only clears the table, sweeps the floor, cleans the kitchen, never said a single word about it, up until the point that sometime later, I asked him, weeks maybe later, I asked him, do I have his permission to give this over when I speak about Hannah? He says, absolutely. Mm. That was it. Now. An obvious question. Does a boy, a child, a daughter, whoever it is, need to listen to their parent? Absolutely, of course. How productive would that conversation have been if I had it with my son then? And I've since spoken to him. When I asked him for permission, that's when I had a conversation with sweetheart. I said, look, I know you don't love to clear the table, and I know you're entitled to this and that. I said, but, and then here's where you help the child to establish empathy and see from your position. By the way, as I mentioned, I do work with law enforcement. So when you're in a hostage negotiation, hopefully it won't be the same as with your teenage boy. Um, <laughs> you, one of the, a, a very good technique is we know when you've got the typical scenario, if you've you know, seen or read about it, it's like, you know, I want a helicopter, $20 million in cash and all this stuff, right? The response from an experienced negotiator is, first you never say no, but okay, is how am I supposed to get you all of that so fast? You force the subject to see from your perspective. Yeah. So in this case, I said to my son, I said, tell me what I'm supposed to do when my child's not listening to me. Yeah. That's different from saying, how could you not listen to me? Why are you doing this? Blah, blah, blah. It's not just, I said to him, sweetheart, you go, I have a job. I always tell my kids, I got two jobs to help them to be a mansion, to keep them safe. That's it. That's my job. Be a mansion to be saved. That's it. So if they're doing something that's physically or spiritually and emotionally dangerous, I have to step in. Other than that, enjoy so I said, what am I supposed to do? Help me. You tell me what, and we had an honest conversation. Okay. All right, before we go on, any questions and how much time do we have left? So I know, uh, Rabbi, uh, how much time do we have? Okay. 
you think that approach would work for a seven-year-old boy, for example, or a seven-year-old girl? Is this like an age-appropriate approach? It's a good question. So it works best when you have a child who may be a little oppositional um, or, or um, not maybe, you know, uh, so, so flexible. Um, a lot depends on the age and also the emotional maturity. You've got some kids, like, you know, some kids, they just can't do enough. They can't help enough. They can't, what else can I do? The other kid who sees a broom and runs, you know, the other way. So you have different temperaments, different types of personalities. I would say that um, a seven-year-old, un- unless they're a really tough cookie, I think it's perfectly legitimate to lay down the law then and not have to go through this whole rigmarole. Um, you know, this, is, this would be the, the, the outlier, the exception, the case. If you have a seven-year-old, you empathize, you say, sweetheart, whatever it is, I know you don't like cleaning the table. It is such a pain. Again, it takes all 30 seconds, whatever he has to do. I know it is. I know you'd rather play with your friends. I know this. But you know what? Everyone has responsibilities. Everyone has jobs. Mommy spent all this time doing this. Daddy's doing this. This is our job. If you want to change your job, you can have a conversation. Make sure she feels heard. But end of the conversation, I would say she, at seven years old, she's going to be doing what she's got to do. Unless, again, you're dealing with a particularly tough cookie, in which case it's you want a different mahalach. Okay? Great. Okay. Any other questions? Okay. So we just have a few moments uh, left. And let me just, we'll end with the following. Um, when we talk about raising emotionally healthy children, I, I, I believe actually Rabbi, um, Rabbi Yitzhak Berkowitz says this. Uh, brilliantly about the most important ingredient to have in a home and that is simcha and it's something that you know any reasonable person would recognize and I'm not talking about an artificial simcha like you know running around dancing and, and, and screaming like you know color wars but I'm talking about infusing whatever it is we do with joy and certainly if we're encouraging our children to stay in the path of Yiddishkeit everyone wants to be a part of something that's the simcha so literally, by the way, just, just psychologically, I tell you, like during COVID, I encourage people, keep the lights on more than you would normally. There's just a physiological response to things being brighter. Certainly, if you have nice, you know, proper music, it creates a different atmosphere. Um, you know, certainly, you know, food is always nice and, you know, fun drinks, not alcoholic, of course. But whatever it is, it keeps more of a joyful atmosphere. And when you have to give the kaka to your child, when you have to criticize, you have to do something that's not positive, the rule of thumb is singular. Do it calm. If you can't do it calm, don't do it at all. Whatever it is you're thinking of doing, if you're not doing it from a calm place, you're better off not doing it. It doesn't matter what it is. So contain yourself, take some time, reestablish your equilibrium, and you know, find a place where you can re-enter that conversation with a sense of calm. End of the day, uh, our children will feed off of us. And let me say, also, somebody mentioned, I have 200 talks on Tarani time. There's a number on parenting, so obviously we can't cover everything here, but not just for me, but from a number of really amazing uh, Rabbanim and uh, Rabbam and Rebbitsons and so on and speakers on Chinech. I think, again, Tarani time, is, there's a lot of value. Nate, a quick question, please. I have a really, really hard time with the calm part. I get really overwhelmed with the children right. very, very easily. I see. Do you have any sort of like magic words or <laughs> magic pills? Yeah, yeah. Or mantras, like sure. That works okay. In the, in the moment. Great. Okay. 
It's, it's, I appreciate your very honest question. So it's like this. First off, I'm a huge proponent of meditation, mindfulness meditation, whatever meditation, something I've been doing for decades. Helps to keep me remotely sane. I can't imagine where I'd be without it. And it's, there's a couple of great books in the Judaica stores by uh, Feiner. Um, I forget who the other one's by. It's a green book. Um, on, it's called Mindfulness or Meditation, something like that. Uh, so certainly, whenever you enter that space, the more calm you are, the better off you're going to be. Um, I would say, you know, when you say words like overwhelmed and stress, just one thing is important to keep in mind is modeling for our children. You know what? When you're stressed out, you've got a lot going on. Eric Shabbos, everyone's pulling in different directions. Rather than screaming yell at the kids, by the way, it's a perfect opportunity to speak out exactly what you're experiencing so you can teach them how to deal with a situation when they're dealing with a lot on their plate. I happen, personally, it's my, a buzzword of mine. I don't like the word overwhelmed because what a person is saying is, I've got more than I can handle. So what's the message to your brain is no matter what happens, you think that you can't handle mm. it. Just say, there's a, I say, so you speak out what's going on. There's a lot going on right now. Say, okay guys, 45 minutes to you know, the candle lighting and we've got to still put up supper. You know, Malky's in that microwave oven. Uh, someone's at the door. <laughs> Let's see triage. What's the most important thing right now? You bring your kids in on the process of how you're going to move to move through everything rather than scream at people and say, don't you see, I'm doing everything here. Why can't you? That conversation predictably is Groundhog's Day, the next day of Shabbos. So say, okay, mommy's got a lot going on. You can even take a breath, sit down and say, hey guys, I need your help with this. And you empower children, they're going to step 